0: It's an interesting thing to me, I don't mean for this to sound spooky, but maybe it is a little spooky. The closer we get to the cross, the more my mood darkens. Not all day, but you know, when I'm studying this and when I'm preaching this, there's, there's a Paul. That, that hangs over. And I think that's appropriate. Because there's never been an event in history sadder, more unjust, more horrible than what Jesus endured on the cross. And while we should approach it with great gratitude, There also ought to be a sobriety about it because it was there that the sins of all mankind, including mine, including yours, was laying upon Jesus and God poured out his full wrath and fury against sin on his son. There have not been a darker six hours in the 6,000 years of human history than those six. And so as we get closer to it, there is a heaviness. Oh, thank God for the cross, but thank him more that there's nobody on that cross anymore, and there's nobody in that tomb anymore, that Jesus is alive, and because he lives, we can live. We've been working through and this the, the last of Mark's story, Mark chapters fourteen through sixteen. We talked about the sadness as it regarded Judas. The supper there in the upper room, the seizure of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the sham trial that he enjoyed, the shame of Peter's denial. And now tonight, we look at Jesus' shunning, Jesus' shunning. Let's read Mark 15, verse 1. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and bound Jesus, carried him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them, that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had had ever done unto them. And Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye shall call? King of the Jews. And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. Gracious Heavenly Father, I approach this passage, Lord, with more heaviness than usual. I do think it's the subject matter, but I also think, Lord, that I'm a little more keenly aware than usual of all the hurt that people are facing, the resistance the devil is offering. We knew when we undertook this pursuit of revival that we would not enjoy some aspects of it, and Lord... You're doing what you do, and I ask you, Lord, to bring us through it victoriously. And may we on the other side of this thing look back and say, just as the hymn writer wrote, Jesus led us all the way. Lord, for those that are hurting tonight, would you encourage them? Would you give them clarity? Would you help them? there's somebody here tonight or watching online that's not saved, I pray they see their need for the Savior. Come to Jesus. Lord, I don't know why it is on Wednesday nights it's so easy to get academic and it's so easy to get formulaic. Father, I need an unmistakable touch from heaven tonight. that we've gathered together won't do. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. May this be a Wednesday night like we've not experienced in a long time. Maybe ever. May it be unmistakable in the forth telling of your word and in the prayer that we offer up here in a little bit. Meet with us tonight, Lord, we pray. We are not worthy, but you've instructed us to boldly come before your throne of grace. And so we do so, trusting you to meet us there and to help us to find grace and help in time of need. Have your will and way tonight, we pray, and may Jesus Christ be lifted up. In his name we ask these things. Amen. Well, the four gospels marks account of Jesus before Pilate. Let me pause there. Jesus before Pilate. Several commentators have rightly said it probably should be the opposite. It probably should be Pilate before Jesus. You see, Pilate was as much on trial as Jesus was. There's only, of those two men in that room, Pilate and Jesus, there's only one of them that's sovereign. Right. Only one of them was in control, and it wasn't Pilate. But of this interaction, Mark gives us the least information. It's very streamlined, and that's not unlike Mark. That was his approach. Mark is, by a number of chapters, the shortest of the four Gospels. We entitled this section, Shunning. Because at this point, Jesus stands utterly alone. The disciples that are in the vicinity or are far away off, and Peter's at some undisclosed location still weeping bitterly over his denial. He's alone, at least from human perspectives. Jesus' deepest moment of abandonment won't take place until he's forsaken of the Father on the cross. But for now, this is as bad as it gets. He's been shunned. And now there's a whole lot to glean from the accounts that are in Matthew, Luke, and John, but for time's sake, I'm going to do my best not to go there very much and just stay in Mark. You know, I like to bring in stuff from other Gospels, but but I, I don't think that's going to be our best use of time tonight. You see, Jesus stood before Pilate multiple times. He was sent to Herod once. He was beaten and then brought back. There was a lot that went on that that Mark doesn't record. But I want to focus on two points tonight, two of them. First of all, the participants, who was there? And secondly, the point. What are we supposed to take from this? The so what, if you will. All right, so let's begin with the participants. Let's start with the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders, verse number one. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, their method. They've got a method here. This is what they're doing. This whole thing has gotten ugly, it's a mess. So, their method is let's translate and transfer the responsibility for all of this to Pilate. Let's put this in his lap. See, they're still going to get what they want, they hope, but they're going to get rid of some of the blowback that they might have to deal with. And that shows their motive. Their method is to transfer this responsibility, but their motive, why? Because there's going to come a day that somebody's going to come to their senses and say, wait a minute, what did we do? Why did y'all encourage us to, to turn Jesus over and to, to, to crowd? out? Oh, no, 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 that wasn't us. See, we don't have the authority to inflict capital punishment. Only the Romans do, and we weren't necessarily looking for that. We just... We just felt like it needed to be dealt with for the good of Israel. And what Rome does, Rome does. See, they're trying to deflect. When really what they're thinking is, this is great. Not only will we not get the blowback, all we could have done even in capital punishment was stone him. Now, if you're not familiar with stoning and how it was supposed to work, this is how it was supposed to work when somebody was stoned biblically in the Old Testament. It was not the, it was not the violent act that, that people think it was. If somebody was stoned, the first thing they were doing was, was thrown off a cliff. Everybody gathered on this ridge, and they were thrown off a cliff head first, And ideally, that would kill them. Now, that's not the most elegant way to die, but I can think of worse ways to die than falling off a cliff and landing on my head. Now I'm going to get a little bit gross. If that didn't work, then those witnesses that cast that first stone, it's a big stone. And so they heave it over, and boom, that finishes them off. And then, if that doesn't work, at least the poor guy's unconscious, and they start heaving stones down there. That's how it was supposed to work. Now, is that always how it worked? No. Because, you know, men take what God designs as being one way and make it worse. That's why when they threw the woman in front of Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery, there was no cliff, there was no big rock. They were going to make this thing hurt because men mess things up. So compared to, compared to crucifixion, stoning would have been a, maybe a preferable way to go, but, oh, no, this is great. They're going to crucify him. If we can get this done the way we want to, they're going to crucify him, and that's going to be rough. He might hang up there for days. Well, no, the Sabbath, the high Sabbath is coming. So, yeah, but still, for the hours he's up there, that's going to be bad. And We really want to see Jesus hurt. And Oh, by the way, according to, according to the law, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. We get the added bonus of he'll go to hell. That's the kind of wicked minds we're dealing with here. In verse 10, even even Pilate knew that they they had delivered Jesus to him for envy. What's envy? It literally means ill will, jealousy, or spite. It has this idea that Jesus received the attention that they wanted for themselves. He received the accolades that they wanted for themselves, and he exposed their godless religion. Think about it. Before Jesus... A Pharisee walks through the town, and oh, the Pharisee, oh, he's so wonderful, and oh, he's so spiritual. And then all of a sudden, somebody else comes along and gets all that attention. And they don't like it. They don't like it. That's the Jewish leaders. But then look at Pilate. We're still in verse 1. They delivered him to... Pilate, Pontius Pilate is his full name. Now, here's what we know historically about Pilate. He was not what you would call incompetent. But a lot of times he was unwise and known to be particularly harsh. Um, (laughs) He he made some mistakes. He he squashed some rebellions in ways that were maybe heavy-handed. He uh, inflicted... Punishment where maybe it wasn't necessary. One thing he did, he had, he had a, a unique talent for trying to do the right thing and completely the wrong way. A good example of this is he wanted to build an aqueduct that would really upgrade the water for the, the Israelites, particularly in Jerusalem. And that's a good idea, except to use temple money to do it. They didn't care for that. He wanted to. He wanted to really cozy up to Caesar, and so he paraded in with, with flags that had Caesar's image on it, and get, didn't give any thought to how the Jews felt about images from the Second Commandment, and that almost caused a riot to where he finally had to take them down. So you know he wasn't necessarily the wisest of leaders. Very heavy-handed. He was the longest-serving Roman governor of Judea. His his end is is sad. Ultimately, he did so bad that he got banished by Emperor Caligula and ended up killing himself. But in the matter of Jesus, he was very, very pragmatic. Look at verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them. Rather than doing right Pilate made his decision based on what was most beneficial to him. Okay? Can we put it this way? He sided with Jesus until it no longer benefited him to do so. When Jesus first gets there, this man hadn't done anything wrong. Y'all are crazy. What are you you, you doing here? But then when he saw the crowd, it's interesting in verse number... uh, Oh, me, let me see, verse number, man, I should have jotted this down. Hmm, where's that word at? Maybe it'll pop out later. Anyway, focus. So so Pilate, not great. But then there's somebody else there. Jesus is there. Let's look at him. Now, we'll be here the rest of the year talking about Jesus, so we're going to limit what we say about him. When it was prudent to say anything at all, Jesus only spoke truth. Look at verse 2. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. He didn't say much, but he spoke the truth. But you'll also notice in verse number three that at times it wasn't, it wasn't prudent to speak at all. And when that was the case, Jesus maintained his silence. Look at verse three. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. This falls right into the prophecy about him in Isaiah 53.7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened what? Not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Oh, this leads us to a lesson, a principle. Would to God, I learned this earlier in life. Would to God, I would practice it consistently today. I am learning it, but I need it to be more bedrock in my understanding. And frankly, so do we all. And here it is. Silence is often the better part of wisdom. It is much... I have a tendency, I want to say the right thing, and I am learning that sometimes the right thing to say is nothing. And if it was easy... Everybody would be quiet. But it's not easy. Much harder than knowing the right thing to say is knowing when to say nothing at all. Can I give you an immutable law of nature? I'm going to give you the law and then I'm going to explain it. You know, kind of like for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Let me give you a law here the willingness to remain silent is inversely proportionate to the willingness of others to comment. Let me read that again. The willingness to remain silent is inversely proportionate to the willingness of others to comment. What does that mean? The quieter that you endeavor to be, the more others are willing to run their mouth. And that is true in every every nook and cranny of society. It is true in politics, it is true in business, it is true in families, and it is absolutely true in churches. Proverbs ten nineteen: In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool uttereth all his mind. But a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Jesus, the epitome of wisdom, demonstrated this. When he spoke, it was only truth, but more often than not, especially in this situation, he didn't say anything. We see the Jewish leadership. We see Pilate. We see Jesus. Who else is there? crowd. And we look at the crowd crying, crucify him, crucify him. What do we see about them? We see a group of people that have forgotten what Jesus has done, haven't they? Now, we understand that the, 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 the Jewish leaders influenced them to turn on Jesus and to cry out for Barabbas, and that was a problem too. If, if, if other people can influence you the way the Jewish leadership influenced these people to make the wrong decision, that's a real problem. But what did they use? I'll tell you what they used. They saw Barabbas as a Messiah who is more in line with what they want than Jesus was at that point. Look at verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made the what? Insurrection. Insurrection against what? Rome. See, we wanted Jesus to shut Rome down and to put him down, but he wouldn't do it. At least Barabbas tried. He failed, but he tried. That's the kind of man we want leading us. Boy, it really reeks of What have you done for me lately, doesn't it? Somebody else there. Jesus is there, obviously. Pilate, the Jewish leadership, the crowd. One more person, who's that? Barabbas. Brother Earl, I'm sure this is something you've known for years. But I discovered something in my study that blew me away. I'm sure most of you probably picked up on this. I'm late to the party on this one. Matthew 27 tells us that Barabbas was a notable prisoner. That means notorious. Everybody knew who he was for all the wrong reasons. Mark and Luke tell us he was an insurrectionist and he was a murderer. Now, it's important to understand, murderer here does not mean... In this insurrection, you know, some Roman soldier got in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and, you know, a casualty of the... No, that's not what it means. It means he killed someone who was innocent, okay? This was not a combatant. This was somebody who was innocent. And John tells us that he was a thief. It is not a stretch of the imagination at all. Think about it. What was the occupation of the two men on either side of Jesus? Thieves. Is it reasonable to conclude that maybe they got caught the same time Barabbas did? Reasonable to think. Now, that's not what I discovered. What's Barabbas' name? Barabbas? Is that his whole name? No. Think about it. When the Jews named a kid, they named him something, bar, something. Simon, bar, Jonah, right? All we get is Barabbas' last name. Bar, son of Abba. What's his name mean? Son of the Father. Now, what's his first name? I can't say with any certainty, but there's a lot of evidence that piles up. If you start digging into the Greek and digging into this and digging into that, there were a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars that believe that his first name was Jesus. Jesus was a very common name back then. It kind of it gets a little bit of credence when you consider that in Matthew 27, Pilate seems to distinguish between which Jesus do you want, Barabbas or Jesus the Christ. What do we take from that? There's no more striking example of Jesus' substitutionary death than this right here. The son of the father in place of a son of the father. Jesus the God-man in place of maybe Jesus the man. Here's what I want you to remember about Barabbas. What happened after this? What do we know about Barabbas after this? The answer is absolutely nothing. There is no record of Barabbas doing anything good, bad, or indifferent after this. We have no idea. You'd like to think that Barabbas would have got the message and gotten saved. We'd like to think that, but we have no idea. Remember that. So the participants, the Jewish leadership, Pilate, Jesus, the crowd, Barabbas. All right, Andy, what's the point? What am I supposed to take from this? What's my so what? Have you ever read this and asked yourself, what in the world were these people thinking? Why did the Jewish leaders hate him so badly that they wanted to see him crucified? Why would the crowd turn on him so violently? Why, why, why? I'll tell you, and we've said this before, One of the most dangerous things a Christian can do when they're studying their Bible is to read something that God has put there as an example and a lesson for us and say, that doesn't apply to me. I'm glad I'm not like that. But can I tell you something? We are like that. I wouldn't have done this to him. You wouldn't have heard me in the crowd saying crucify him. I wouldn't have handed him over to the Romans. I wouldn't have washed my hands of the matter. Not me. What about the Jewish leaders? Would you have been like them? Let's rehearse what they did. You ever seek to transfer responsibility elsewhere? I do. All right, let's be honest. I'm not asking you to raise your hand this between you and God, but let's be honest with yourself in the presence of God. Do you ever dislike it when God gets credit and attention and you don't? Because I got news for you. If you serve him in any ministry capacity. And your goal is for people to notice you and not Jesus. There you are, just like them. Man, there's a story of a missionary who was in Africa, and uh, he was he was uh, embedded right in the middle of their villages. And an African lady came to his tent, and she was wearing all kinds of ceremonial things that included piercings and paintings and all kinds of things that, that frankly, were a little bit jarring to see. You know, it was meant to be uh, to arouse a negative emotion. And she's there, and his tent flap is open. And she sees something on the tree that's in the middle of his tent that it's built around. It's a mirror. She's never seen a mirror before. And she falls back. And she says, what is that in that tree? That tree is looking at me. He says, no, it's not the tree. This is what's called a mirror, and he gets it off the nail that's in the tree, and he hands it to her, and she she, ah. she did not like what she sees. She says, I want to buy that. Oh, it's not for sale. I want to buy it. What do you want for it? He finally figures out, you know what, this could be kind of a problem. I probably should just sell it to her. Okay, give me some beads. He says, what are you going to do with it? And she throws it on the ground and stomps on it. And she says, that thing won't look at me like that again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So, Can you separate God from his word? No. And we know specifically it's talking about the Son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus and his word are synonymous. You can't separate them, can you? Okay. What are we told in James? For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. What do we learn from that? We're just like that that poor girl in that African village. She didn't understand. The problem wasn't the mirror. The problem was her. And just like her, we look into the mirror of God's word, and we don't like what we see. And rather than dealing with it in us, we blame the word, and we blame Jesus. And that's exactly what this Jewish leadership was doing. We don't like what we see. We don't like how he makes us feel. We don't like what he says about us. So rather than getting rid of the bad parts of us, we got to get rid of him. And every person that has ever looked to the word of God saw something that needed to be corrected and then walked away from it and gotten rid of the word instead of dealing with the problem is just like these Jewish leaders. That's me. That's all of us. Oh, I'm not anything like them. Yes, we are. Well, well, certainly. I'm not like Pilate. No? When it comes to the decisions that you make for God, how much does personal gain factor into that? Hmm? Yeah, I'm going to take that job. I mean it puts us a thousand miles from a good church, but I'm gonna take that job because there's money in it. Hmm? Yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna incorporate these friends into my life because they can network me and they can get me in good in good places. I mean, yeah, they're no good for me spiritually, but you know. There's a lot of ways to illustrate that. Hey, like Pilate. And, and you understand, I have to ask myself this as much as I'm asking you. This message I've already preached to myself several times already. So let me ask you a question. Like, Pilate, are you with Jesus as long as it benefits you to be so? Because let's be honest, in some circumstances, it's cool to be with Jesus. We just came back from a teen, teen uh, rally. I going to tell you, it was great. Can I tell you something? The preaching there was for teenagers, and it was for everybody else of every age group there too. I mean, it was sound, and it was right, and it was exactly what I needed, okay? And I'm going to tell you something. That's not the place to stand against the Lord. You'll be in the minority there. But it's when you leave a place like that. Yeah, we're all with Jesus, aren't we? How about when you go to work? How about when you're with those buddies that maybe aren't as with Jesus? How about when you're with some family? Or how about when you're by yourself? I'm nothing like Pilate. Yeah, we are. Well, wait a minute now. Okay, technicalities, but surely you're not going to say I'm like the crowd. I wouldn't have been out there saying, crucify him. You might not have said those words, and I might not have said those words. But let's look at what the crowd did. They saw Barabbas. Is more of an option for what they wanted than Jesus. Do you see Jesus as a mechanism to meet your wants instead of your needs? Because if he's there to meet your wants instead of your needs, when your wants aren't getting met, guess what? Next! That's why I have such a disdain for prosperity preaching. Let me call some names. Creflo Dollar. Kenneth Copeland. Smiley Joel Osteen. Benny Hinn have just recently added to their number and it makes me very sad if you're right with god he's gonna bless you quit living in negativity friend he's gonna bless you it doesn't hurt if you write a check he's gonna bless you And he wants you to be on the way up and not the way down. Paul would have a problem with that. Arguably the greatest Christian ever walked the planet. And did Paul have it easy? He did not. But here's what happens. You teach people that. You teach people that. And then when they don't have all of their wants met, they give up on God. I don't buy into everything John MacArthur says, but I'm not going to set aside things that he says that are right. And he said something recently, and I'm still mulling it over. But the more I think about it, I might tweak it a little bit, but he's getting righter and righter the more I think about it. He said, Christians, we don't win down here. We win up there. Now, does God give us victories here and there? He does. And I'm not saying that we should walk around defeated. But the truth of the matter is, we are in a lost, godless, dying world that does not want what we have. And so we should not be surprised when life goes against us. But if I do right, I'll have everything I've ever wanted. Nope. This crowd looked at him and said, he's not doing what we wanted. We wanted the Romans overthrown. He didn't deliver. Give us Barabbas. And when we say, he's not doing what Jesus disappointed me. God let me down. I'm just going to go my own way. We are no different from the crowd. By the way, they were also easily influenced by others to stray And there's a whole lot of Christians that that cool friend or that love interest or that spouse that doesn't love the Lord, all they got to do is say the right thing. And, oh, I'm going to follow them just like the crowd. But then there's Barabbas. All of us who are saved are like Barabbas in this regard. We have all benefited from Jesus taking our place. We were dead to rights. You understand Barabbas is in that cell. And every time he hears the iron clang, it could be them coming to take him and crucify him. He is dead. That's all he has to look forward to is the cross. There's no escape. He's not getting out of it. And so the iron clangs, and they come through the wards, and they get to his cell. Get up, Barabbas. I thought I was ready. I'm not ready. Where are we going? Shut up. I'm sorry. I forget kids aren't in master clubs right now. They would have said something worse. They drag him up to the pavement, and there sits Pilate and some poor man that's been beaten beyond res- re- recognition. What is going on here? And then all of a sudden, Pilate asks Who would you have me give unto you? And everybody cries, Barabbas. And that goes back and forth a few times, and he's thoroughly confused. And then he sees Pilate call for some water, and he washes his hands, and he motions to the soldier, and they unshackle Barabbas and say, Get out of here. Now, in stark contrast to that, when you accepted Christ, God didn't unshackle you and say, get out of here. He rejoiced. Jesus died in your place. But here's the question I really want you to focus on. After this, we have no record, one way or the other, of Barabbas doing anything for or against the Lord. Since he took your place, is there any record of your service to him? When I'm done here, People to stand around my casket and the record be clear that I serve the Savior. Hope so. Next week, Lord willing, we move into verse 15. And we move from his shunning to his suffering. I'll be honest with you, I'm not looking forward to that one. I'm really not. But if he doesn't go through this, we have no hope. If this makes any sense at all, I'm not glad that he had to go through it. But I sure am thankful that he did go through it. So, Father, apply your word to our hearts. And of all the people that were there at the shunning of Jesus, be it Pilate, the chief priests and Jewish leaders, the crowd, or Barabbas.